So welcome to the Next Gen Cast, which is a podcast from Next Generation GP. This is episode six, and it's part two of a conversation that I had with consultant general paediatrician Bob Kleber, who I've known for a long time and has really been an amazing role model for me as a leader. Hopefully you enjoyed part one, where we talked about Bob's lessons on leading through a crisis, um, some of his early influences on his leadership career, managing conflict, and his amazing work on integrating child healthcare across London as part of a programme called Connecting Care for Children. Bob ended that conversation with a really powerful call to senior leaders across the NHS to really think about what the mission and the purpose of the NHS is going forwards. So here's part two of that conversation with Bob. Um, Bob, just stepping back from the Connecting Care for Children stuff, speaking more generally about how you were balancing the clinical side of things with with trying to change things and the leadership. And I ask this because it comes up time and time again. People feel pulled in all directions. And I guess you're doing more clinical work and you're leaving the other or you're doing more leadership stuff. And then you think, I'm not really doing enough clinical stuff. And how have you found that balance over your career? I'm going to answer your question by sort of playing your clip again. You've just described it beautifully. So I, uh, I've i not found it very easy. I've, uh, as in, I, it, it's caused worry and time spent thinking about it and trying to be insightful about it. So I hope that's a helpful thing to say because I suspect there's loads of people worrying about it. And in a way, um, you, you guys, and I assume most people listening will be, will be GPs, but you, you guys have got a brilliant opportunity around sort of more portfolio based career in the sense the structures of that I've essentially grown up in a specialty paediatrics I trained as an educationalist as I uh, sort of along the side I took a couple of years out to go and do some out program stuff and I've, I've essentially sort of forged a portfolio career in a perhaps environment that's less naturally set up for that so I'd be hopeful that um, many people listening can really do that and um, have I had the conundrum of how do you how are you present in these different areas big time? Yeah, that's definitely caused me uh, sort of worry and thought. That said, I think, I sort of have a good internal measure on things. I think thinking about things and being thoughtful and worrying about stuff a bit, and I worry, I, I get, I, you know, don't get profoundly anxious about stuff, but I think sometimes a bit of worry means you're trying to reflect and you're trying to be insightful and you're trying not to just plough on with it. So I do think it's a bit of a conundrum. Um, I think trying to find synergies wherever you can is important and is, is helpful. So I think part of the way that I've been able to take on quite a lot of stuff and, you know, people say, will say to me, well, how you, you do so, so much. I try and be relatively thoughtful about how the different things uh, um, may help each other. If you like the sort of Stephen Covey win-win piece uh, is important. And at times in my career where I've sort of, slightly shut things down a bit um, is where I felt them being almost a bit tangential. So they might be something that I really enjoy and something that I've been able to make a difference in, but you, you find yourself playing on too many fronts. And I think if that's when it starts to get in the way of authenticity of being around. So clinically, part of you go back to my opening bit about leadership is about creating an environment in which other people thrive. And um, when you're on the wards and you're attending on the wards, if you're not there, because you're busy off doing 25 other things, it's pretty hard to create an environment in which other people thrive. 
So there's something about being able to be present that's really important and not being constantly distracted. And, you know, one of the great myths of multitasking, I think there's a really important thing. None of us can multitask at that actual moment in time. This is Michael West stuff about listening with fascination. Try it. Have a go. Next time you're on the phone to your mum or your sister or uh, whoever, try and type an email as well and see it's how well trying to do right now. It's not good. No, you're doing email. <laughs> uh, I can see you. You're listening. <laughs> but I think, I think we can kid ourselves. And maybe, you know, you can listen to this podcast and uh, go on a run or, you know, be thinking about other stuff. Or Yeah, you can. You can breathe well, but you can't do anything with real intensity and real thought uh, at the same time the brain is amazing we're extraordinary us, us, us humans but I think you've just got to really pay attention on one thing at a time you can have a whole load of things cooking and in, undoubtedly my, you know I do and I'm sure everybody listening has a heck of a lot of stuff going on but when you're in the moment on that particular thing pay great attention to it really uh, I think that's crucial so that has been important to get that really clear and I've always been very clear with exec colleagues or other people is if I'm on call and they put in another meeting in and around it I'm really really clear to say look I'll, I'll do my best I'll try and dip in but ultimately the you know the on-call time the clinical time we will we'll, we'll need to um sort of trump on that and um, the conundrum of how you dial it up and down I think is quite difficult um, and I don't have really good answers to it I've definitely had a few times in the last five years where people have asked me to do more and more and more um, non-clinical work and essentially very full-time non-clinical work. And I'm very, very low. I don't want to give up the thing. Well, I enjoy it too much. I think it's too key part of who I am. And, uh, and it helps me so much in the other work. It helps me to be sort of authentic. Now, you know, I'm mid-40s and that'll get only get harder and harder to sort of keep that stuff going on things as the ask to uh, you know, do full-time jobs. My executive role is a full-time role, but I was pretty clear when I said that I'm interested in applying for it that I still wanted to do some clinical work. And I pushed that clinical work is some of it's into the evenings and bits of it, you know, is over weekends on call and it allows me to muck in and just work and works for me. So uh, I, I think it's just it's worth being really thoughtful about. I think it can evolve and move and change in time. And so I think that's part of the joy of portfolio career. So I'd say to people, don't over worry about it. Think about it, reflect on it, keep revisiting it. I think time changes it as well. That advice on synergy is particularly helpful because I think you've said that to me years ago and it stayed with me and still does thinking about when I'm presented with an opportunity, how does that fit with everything else I'm doing? Um, And I think the multitasking piece is also really important. And maybe, especially at the moment, I mean, life hasn't really slowed down for you, but maybe for some people it has a bit and realising that actually um, it's important to be paying attention to what you're doing in that moment. Well, we, and it makes me think as well, I mean, you know, the great digital we were chatting before, before you press the record button about, you know, teenagers in the house and uh, two wonderful teenage daughters who, you know, the, the digital conversation is a really interesting one. But, you know, they will call us out uh, for, you know, use of phone um at times and I think again our self-awareness is interesting and you know I'm from a my year group only you know got their email accounts as they were leaving university and uh, you know mobile phones in the early-ish years of work and and so we didn't really sort of grow up on uh, on this stuff but we we I don't think talk about enough about how that can really really get in the way of um of sort of, you know, it's very, very addictive stuff. 
And anybody, any single person listening to this who doesn't think that they're addicted to their phone is almost certainly totally deluded around it. And, uh, you know, we, we can pretend on that stuff. I think we've probably just got to be more honest and open. Yeah, paying attention to people is so, feels to me so, so key. And we, I mean, as doctors, we, I think we do that pretty well, actually. We're taught to focus on what the patient in front of us is saying, and yet you step away from the patient. Very easy to slip back into the hand, goes into the pocket, the phone comes out. You wouldn't do that in front of your patients, and you hate it when your patients do that very occasionally in front of yeah. you. We don't apply that more widely. I love these conversations because I'll go and be, a, you know, my low baseline, I'll go and be a moderately better father at home and uh, <laughs> better role model as the phone gets, you know, left in the bag. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about your children, actually. But before I do, on the note of particularly on digital, actually, something that I've learned from you, probably there's loads of things I've learned from you. But one of the biggest things I've learned from you is this piece around language and tone. And it has stayed with me forever since the very first email contact I had with you. And so I want to talk about it because I want other people. I remember it. You were in Australia. I was. So I was in Australia. Deeply worried about coming back to the NHS, to be really honest, because of some consultant experiences I'd had before leaving. And I remember sending you this email talking about coming back. I think I wanted time off for my wedding or something like that, dreading what was going to come back into my inbox. And then this email lands, which was just so friendly and nice that I genuinely thought it would gone to the wrong person. <laughs> and I thought, no, that can't be the person I'm going to work for. He's just really nice and kind and has taken the time to actually put some thought into his email and you started to set an example to me then which carried on all the years that I've known you and I really want to talk about this because I just think it's so important I don't really have a question I just want you to talk about <laughs> the language. right I don't I don't I don't have an answer then um <laughs> well thank you yeah look yeah so look you've spotted something it, that wasn't luck let's put it that way that was very much by design and and here's something I my view is you've got to be absolutely consistent on so the danger on these podcasts is people will come find all sorts of areas of hypocrisy. They'll go and bump into my children apart and go, this guy's a nightmare. He's always on his phone or <laughs> something like that. But I, I don't think anybody will be able to dig out, I really hope not, some terrible email I've sent that's been uh, shouty in, you know, in the history of email. And I've fortunately, unfortunately sent far, far too many emails. Um, how, we, how we talk to people, how we communicate with people is so so crucial and an email in particular is a is a very very powerful tool and one of the points about it so I, although we're doing this on audio i can see you Nish, and, and 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 that's and you know in a, in a way through video and that's wonderful and, and i can get a sense of how what i'm saying is landing and um, you can't with email you do not know i had no knowledge i didn't i don't think i knew you were in australia i had no knowledge about what was going on in your mind what you were worried about what your previous experiences were but you have to assume um when you send something that anything could be happening uh, for people and so uh I, I i just think this is this is about really what i would call good psychology it's about understanding and being thoughtful about people so yeah i definitely spend a lot of time thinking about tone tone of voice um tone of voice verbally but tone of voice written about how that stuff's so extraordinary. And if you think about you guys as GPs talking to patients, you were like me as a general paediatrician. I mean, you know, not many of the, there's not much medicine we prescribe that does anything very much. There's not, you know, we're not spending our time chasing down all sorts of diagnostic tests that aren't going to help really. Most of what we do is about listening to people, about uh, talking to people, about supporting people, about 
building up their confidence, about um, encouraging. And that requires uh, a tone. It requires a tone of voice. It requires uh, a kindness and a humility in the way we talk. It requires um, a sense of give a compassion. It gives, a, you know, people need to feel a sense of um, expertise in, in the way you're coming from. And so I think that stuff's so, so crucial. So just sort of technique-wise, you know, I will I'll quite often... Uh, ask somebody else to read something or I might have another go at it or just really think I'll think about how it how it received you know I I generally think about the reply all gates that have gone out there usually by consultants you know to 650 other people email is a dangerous dangerous tool and it and it requires as I say care when we do things so how we talk to people requires real care and thought and you can anyone listening and me talking can think of times where we've said something we just haven't quite got it right. So my visual on this is um, we ha- we need to have sort of antennas sat on the top of your head, constantly watching how things are landing. So that's I guess my two phrases around this are: think about the tone in which you say something, and constantly watching for feedback loops of how is it landing. Because the intention for me to say something to you might be so honourable and lovely and kind. But just for whatever reason, maybe I just got a bit unlucky. You just happen to be having a bad day, but it's just landed badly. And if I can't watch and see that and I'm looking out for it, um, that it requires real care. So constantly looking out for how things have, have landed, I think, is, is a really important part. Okay. And you guys are all total experts. And that's what you do in your consultation all the time. Mm. But think about how you do that with colleagues. Mm. I love your point earlier, Nish, about you know, we learn these amazing skills. We get very, very practiced at them in the clinician patient and then we totally don't employ them when we're talking about our colleagues or our family or honestly I've changed how I communicate with people digitally I mean I don't think I was terrible before but I've definitely put more thought into it and isn't that interesting that one email amongst the millions that you've sent what an impact it had on me no but seriously though but there's the point I literally was sent out millions Mm. and okay this could be a one in a million conversation but actually probably Logic will tell you it's not. Logic mm. will tell you that there'll be lots of versions of these stories related to me and to you and to every single person listening where people have just done, you know, some little piece like that. So, again, that's what we talk about, the power of it. So really, really important. It requires great thought. So you mentioned your children several times. Let's talk about them, <laughs> not in any depth, but um, work-life balance, blend, juggle whatever yeah. you'd like to call it well you've named um, my word Nish <laughs> blend, blend, blend okay so, yeah. how, how does it work for you Bob well um I, it's, <laughs> you could say it doesn't work-life balance doesn't <laughs> so you know so the questions about work-life balance I've always sort of slightly flippantly jet and think you know it that the risk of talking about balance is it sounds like some sort of beautiful perfect equipoise that uh um, is there and it's great balance and you know you, you get the family on the front of Hello magazine and we have great balance and you know that's just nonsense and um, I, so the the two things so I think it is absolutely a blend and you know for whatever reason I think a lot of and uh, my, my amazing wife Jo is a pediatrician as well so our work and home life and people we spend time with and our friends has a blurring to work so some people we know and love have absolutely nothing to do with our work and others very much are and you you know the longer you get in work the more you get to know people and spend time with them so there's a there's a, a blend there again that isn't sort of boundaried completely um you know work and non-work 
And the nature of our work, I think the, the on-call nature of paediatrics, it's quite, it spills out into other things. So it's probably a harder special to be quite sort of bounded about. And my, you know, curiosity and energy and a desire to get involved in all sorts of things and scheming about 126 different things leads off into all of that space and territory and, and a desire to be available to people. That's sort of part of my leadership piece. So it's definitely a blend. I think it requires uh, constant thought and recalibration around it. So I would say I don't spend very much time feeling guilty about it. I spend all of that guilty time thinking about how can I check in around it? How can I recalibrate in it? Thinking, so this week would be a really good example. There's been a whole load of stuff, put a big, big demand of my time around, particularly around testing, staff and patient testing to do with COVID. And that's meant, you know, Monday and Tuesday, I was really late and ended up working very, very late. It made me really, really determined yesterday evening to get home while it was still light, to get out in the park with the kids and you know, hoofs and footballs and rugby balls around and run about. And we were the only people in this slightly drizzly park around the corner for us, but it was absolutely gorgeous. And it was a bit of time and it was full of laughter and uh, banter and that sort of thing. So I think tiny, pathetic little story, but I guess tuned into a bit of method that is about collaboration around it. Um, You know, collaboratively as a family, thinking about it and also calibrating it and constantly checking it. Ultimately, I don't think I'm particularly good at it. I definitely, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I guess my parents probably say I'm sort of fairly addicted to work, um, but definitely try and have have some sort of blend around it because, you you know, family are everything and um, very much shape who I am and what I care about. So, uh, yeah, con- work in progress would be maybe the way to sum it up. Best. What about switching off then for you? So, and perhaps now is not a great example of that, understandably. So, but- well... Yeah, so I, I, I've largely been very good at that, and I'm lucky with that. So I don't, um, so I cycle to work. That just has been brilliant for my sort of mental health and ability to sort of slightly compartmentalise things. So generally speaking, I, I, I'm able to do that really pretty well. And um, it's definitely been harder through COVID. I've, I've um, not lost the ability to do that, but I've the last three months of that's been really, really difficult. So for example, I would generally, I'll often do bits of work on a Sunday evening and it's almost, that's become a bit of a habit and it's a way of, you know, tidying up and getting ready for the week. Um, but that would be pretty sort of bounded. The last few weeks, stuff has sort of spilled over into other bits of weekends and things. And I think that's something to pay attention to. Um, I tend to, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't spend masses of hours uh, with my head on a pillow, but I've been lucky and, uh, you know, I generally can just get to sleep quickly. A couple of very good friends of mine are insomniacs and find that really hard. I, I, I feel desperately for them. I find that quite tormenting. I'm generally, you know, can work really hard, have a very long day, have dealt with some fairly extraordinary and complicated things and then switch off and go to sleep. Sport's a big thing for me. I absolutely adore sport and, and friends and time with family and food and all the sorts of things that, uh, that I suspect lots of people listening uh, feel very dear to them as well. I'm so conscious that I'm eating into your park time with the kids and That's I can see right, from worry. your background you're still at work. So I think we should try and wrap things up, Bob. I'm going to go on to the kind of final three questions that we ask everyone. So the first one is um, a book that you might recommend, if not a book, some other kind of resource but something you think you've learned from that other people might benefit okay well so these always make me smile okay so there's all these absolute you know jokers who 
you know, they, they get asked at Christmas for the thing that they have to put on all their books they're reading and all this stuff. And I, you know, I genuinely, I do not believe in most of that. I think they come, and there's the Zoom thing of the moment, isn't there? The bookshelf at the back with everything beautifully choreographed. So here's my sort of confession right there. So I confess I can't even read. No, I can read. <laughs> but um, I, reading's been really in the last, well, really since having kids, so last 15 years or so, I found it. I mean, I've read, you know, the Gruffalo and lots of wonderful things like that. But um, reading time for myself's been really, really hard. Something I've really enjoyed pre-children I'm sure I'll get back into it and I spend most of my reading time being quite broad and probably not so deep so trying to keep an eye on all sorts of things that are going on in the world and in health policy and in you know but that said I have I was recommended a book about three weeks ago that only just came out which is called Humankind. Oh, that is um, on my Amazon wish list. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, you, so it's Rutger Bregman. So he's yeah. a Dutch author. And if, if for optimists like you and me, Nish, this is like a feed. Uh, so it's a really beautifully written book. It's about, I'm about 400 pages long and I'm on, you know, page 330. So I'm like, really, this is, you know, making good progress. 330 pages in three weeks. That is like pace for, for me. I'm going to people laughing, go, they do that in an afternoon. But um, it's, it's, a, it's been a really, it's a really wonderful book. And it's about, um, it really plays into this, uh, I guess, my starting premise that is very deep to me about people are wonderful and people want to try and do their very best and make the biggest difference. Um, the second of the last three questions, Bob, um, a leader that you've admired in your career and why? You've mentioned a few, but anyone in Yeah, particular? I've mentioned a few. You know what? I'm going to go uh, to the other side of the world. I've been really struck when I think about world leadership. So head to New Zealand, and you may, other people might. I mean, uh, Jacinda Ardern. Uh, leadership she, crush. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I think mine too. I mean, she's, you know, a little bit younger than me. Uh, looking there, just, so what is it about? It, it? I think it plays to the tone piece that we were talking about earlier. There's something about... Uh, clarity of decision making so I think as a leader you have to make decisions and I think that seems really clear and just and compassion. Thank you and that's a fantastic choice. So Bob the final final question so your top final three bits of advice kind of short pithy bits of advice for new leaders that they can go home with. Okay number one is be kind, number two is listen and I guess in brackets listen with fascination and number three is there something slightly different is if you can move away from feeling that you need to take the credit for things, you'll go very, very far in life. That is absolutely spot on. Thank you so much. And actually, those are three things that you role model beautifully and that I've learned from you. So thank you, Bob. It's interesting because David Haslam said in answer to the first of those three questions when we interviewed him on the first episode, he, I said, um, what book would you recommend? And he said, I don't recommend books, I recommend people. I recommend watching people, watching people lead and take what you will from them. And um, you were the first lead that I came across, Bob, as a junior doctor, that I thought I want to be a bit like him. Um, I want to say completely like you, but I look nothing like you. I'm like the polar opposite. <laughs> but um, I, I watched you with fascination and I thought I really want to emulate the way that you lead because you as you've described really well in this podcast the way you listen to people the kindness the compassion the language the tone is all exceptional so thank you for for being the leader that you are well thank you for your, for your very very kind words well I hope that 
Um, everything we I've said and we've talked about has cut has you know been really authentic. I think I've just you know in a way as I was teasing you earlier, not really not prepared, just tried to you know be myself. And it, it absolutely, it's lovely to see you and to chat with you. And uh, and hopefully, if it can be of any use and uh, gentle uh, help or inspiration to anyone else, then that's wonderful. So that was part two of episode six with Bob Claver and I always come away a little bit wiser and probably a bit more optimistic after chatting to Bob. Hopefully you'll agree with me that he's an absolutely amazing leader and I feel that that advice, particularly around behaviour and tone and how we speak to each other in a virtual space, um, feels more important now than ever before. Thank you as ever for listening. Um, do send us your comments. You can email us at nextgenerationgp at gmail.com. You can tweet us at nextgp. And if you sign up to our monthly bulletin, you can find out about all our webinars, podcasts and programmes as they start. So that's bit.ly slash bulletin to sign up to that. I hope you can join us for episode seven with a very special guest coming soon.